never let your experiences dictate to your belief system. If you're being sad or lonely or whatever, don't let that dictate to your belief system that, uh, well, you know, everybody should get depressed. No, you should never get depressed. But if you do, believe God. If you get sick, believe God that it's his will for you to be well and be healed. You're going through a financial difficulty. Don't think that, you know, well, God just wants to probably teach me something, you know, and God wants me. And, you know, let me just back up. When people, I'm going to just get down to where the rubber meets the road. You know, when people say that God just wants them to, to be taught during their sickness, they don't really believe that. And I can prove it. Why do you go to the doctor and try to get better then? I know that's a simple thing, but if you really believe that God wants you sick, wouldn't it be getting out of the will of God, going to the doctor to try to get better? Just a thought. Just a small thought. No. God is a great father, and he wants you to be well. If you're battling symptoms, if you're battling sickness, I'd rather, you know, to be believing God is... Is just going along with everybody else saying, well, it's the will of God for me to be sick. It's the will of God for me to be broke. I tell you what, it's the will of God for you. John, 3 John, verse 2. Beloved, I pray that you prosper and be in health. So God, obviously, that's in his word. That's what he wants for his kids. And you as a father, put away your religion. And just think as a good parent. If you have kids, and especially if you have grandkids, and that's this, that you want them to be, how many parents want their kids to be healthy? No parent wants their kid living underneath a bridge and, you know, struggling and saying, I think you're going to learn a lot. No, a good parent's going to wish their kids to be healthy and prosperous and better off than what you are. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you in the name of Jesus for your word, for your spirit. We thank you for the Holy Ghost that is teaching us and directing us. I believe you're ministering to every single person today who's hearing my voice, ministering to each and every one of us in Jesus' name. Amen. Luke 2.11 is where I got the title of the message. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. I'm so glad it didn't just say something generic like, well, for everybody. It says unto you. You, unto you is born this day in the city of David, the Savior, which is Christ the Lord. The NIV version says, today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. A Savior has been born to you. And um, so I was just meditating upon this. Unto you, unto Mike, a Savior was born unto Mike. And so I started meditating on that, and I came up with this question, and it's, what is God to you today? What is God to you? What is he to you? Because, you know, just because everybody, you can go to all kinds of people and say, you believe in God? Yes, I believe in God. But what is that God to you? What is he to you? You know, there's some people that it's, you know, at Christmas time, you get to go and get nice Christmas cards and with the, the manger scene on it or peace be unto you and all of these things. And that's the stint of their, their, 
God as far as what he is to you. He, he provides Christmas, a holiday for us. I get off work. We get presents, which all of those things are good. I'm thankful for that. Are you thankful for that? I'm thankful for that. And, but unto you is born this day. And so a Savior, the, the angel announced that God had given the Christ, the anointed one. He had given the anointed one to all people. And yet, all people are not getting everything that God wanted us to get. You know, like I've said before, you know, I was thankful when I heard the message, the gospel, that, you know, that you don't have to go to hell. I thought, sign me up. I don't want that. But I thought that was it. That was everything for God. The rest is we're here on our own. We're here on our own. Just get by the best as you can. Do the best as you can, you know. And as Americans, pull up yourself with the bootstraps and, you know, you can do it. Just really, really work hard at it. Work hard at everything in life, you know, and it's all up to you. But if you dig into what God had, has done from Genesis to Revelation, you'll find out that there's much more to having a relationship with God. Unto you. What is he unto you? To me, he is a healer. To me, he is a savior. He's the one who takes care of all of my weaknesses. He takes care of all of my sin. And therefore, Mike does not have to perform to be accepted by God. Man, that is good news. Because there's so much part of my life, man, I thought I had to keep performing. And I don't know, you know, I just thought that I'm always going to fail at this. You know, it's kind of like some people are with math. They just, they hate math. They're not good in math. When they were in, I had, a, <laughs> I had I, math was my subject. I could do math blindfolded. I never did have to take math books home. It just came natural to me. English is where I struggled with. Yeah, so what does God do? He says, you're going to speak in front of people. So I was thinking, can I use numbers instead of working? But no. But anyway, I, my, some of my best friends, they were all poor in math, and so they would sit close to me. This is very bad. All the young people, teenagers that are still in school or college, which one of my sons do not. I would just give them all the answers. They passed because of me. They couldn't do calculus. They couldn't do, I thought, what are you even doing in this course anyway? I mean, they struggle with, you know, basic arithmetic, you know, barely, you, you know, I think when I was going to school, I don't know what it is now, you had to take, I think, uh, three years of math, and I think eventually you had to take algebra. It was the highest you'd have to go. Well, I went to algebra, is that still true today? Yes. Oh, you have to take geometry now? Really? You only had to take algebra, but I had friends that would take geometry, and they were so poor, and I would go, what do you even do in this course? Well, I have to take something. I have to graduate. I go, There's so much more that you could take. But anyway, they took geometry. Maybe it's because they knew that I would help them pass. But anyway, they did that, and then trigonometry and free calculus and all that. But I love that. Psalm 61.1. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to preach good tidings to the meek. 
He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and opening the prison to them that are bound. Now, a lot of people still don't, they think that he's just talking about people who are in prison or in jail or whatever, but you can be bound in your wrong belief system. You can be bound because you don't really take in all that is unto you. Unto you. So it's good to know this is what I've always, I've taught my kids this and everything. In your foundation, you have to have this no matter what you face in life. And that is, you know, you believe that God wants you well. You believe that God is not going to judge you based on your performance, that you're always the accepted and the beloved. He says that. That you're loved no matter what. That has to be in your foundation. Why? Because you're going to have to fend off condemnation and guilt in your life at some point. And I've said this, condemnation, people who are in guilt and condemnation, it's hard for them to receive from God, even though it's not his fault. It's what you are thinking between your ears. If you feel condemned or guilty, you're going to feel like you don't deserve anything God has for you. As if you could deserve, as if you could get good enough to get what God has for you. You know, it, doesn't it just really make sense? That's why. God sent Jesus. We needed a Savior. We needed a Savior. Why? Because he knew that we couldn't do it. And yet religion will teach you that you just need to struggle and try harder so that you can get to a place where you can do it. And God says, you'll never get there. This is why the Old Testament is such a great story, is that men there tried to keep the law, tried to get there, keep... Just keep working harder to keep all, you know, people think there's just 10 laws. There's actually over 600 different Jewish laws that they had to keep. Over 600. You know, this shirt that I'm wearing, it's got cotton and polyester. That was against the law. It had to be pure. You couldn't, most of your grass, your lawns are, are out of the law. Because it had to be pure seed. It either had to be all Kentucky bluegrass or all... Bermuda, it couldn't be any mixture in there whatsoever. No mixing of seed, no mixing of clothing. Not, I mean, there was just such ridiculous laws. So, you know, to try to get them to a place of righteousness, which that could not, only the blood of Jesus. But once a year, God had mercy on them, and they would take the blood of a, of a, a lamb or of an animal, and once a year, the high priest would go in to cover the sins of the nation, once a year, they would feel a relief. Whereas now there's, in Hebrews, it says there is a much greater sacrifice that is continually speaking every day of our life that you're forgiven. Every day of your life that you're forgiven. So that you and I can be free from guilt and condemnation. Not so that you... You know, people take this the wrong way so that you can continually sin. Paul said, God forbid. No, that's not the reason. But at the same time, when you do fall, when you do become, you know, sin, what do you do? Well, you just know that, God, I thank you that you paid the price for me to be forgiven. In Luke 4.18, that was Psalms, or Isaiah 61.1, Luke 4.18, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, and set at liberty them that are bruised, 
This, this is something. You know what miracle is written about in the Gospels more than any other miracle? Blinded eyes being opened. There's something spiritual about that as well. Because if we don't see what God has done for us, you'll still grope around in this world like a blind person, not being able to figure things out. Now, of course, we, we're not all there, but I am so thankful that I'm further along than I was five years ago, 10 years ago, 20 years ago, as far as knowing him. The purpose of knowing God is so that you and I can have more victory in your life here in the nasty and now, not when you get in heaven. God wants to help mankind and for you and I to experience his goodness now. David said this, I would have fainted. I would have given up if I would not have believed to see the goodness of God in the land of the living. In the land of the living, which meant now. David had a pretty rough life, but he always believed that he was going to see the goodness of God now. And I know I was thinking about this, how life is a journey for all of us. And on this journey, the great thing about it is God knows the very end from the beginning. The Bible says he knew you in, your womb, in the womb of your mother. In the womb, God knew you. And he says, I just didn't know that part. I knew the very end and all of the things that were in between, knowing that God knows everything about your life. Well, if you're on this journey, God knows the end from the beginning. But at the end of the journey, most Christians believe that, you know, that there is healing, that there is true peace, that there is true prosperity because it's when you get to heaven. And that is true. But how about now? Colossians 1.27 Living within you is the Christ who floods you with the expectation of glory. This mystery of Christ embedded within us becomes a heavenly treasure chest of hope filled with the riches of glory for his people, and God wants everyone to know it. So he's not saying that I'm doing all of this so you can experience it in heaven. He says, I've got a treasure chest of all of the glory and all of the goodness of God. And he wants you tonight to know it today. Today. Now is the time of salvation. Not when you die and get to heaven. Now is the time. This verse is saying that God wants to give each one of us a supernatural revelation of Christ in us. The King James Version says that exactly that way. Christ in you, the hope of glory. So God poured Jesus into a vessel, a human vessel, a baby of all things. He poured God into a baby. So eventually there would come a day where that same power would be poured inside each and every one of us. The power of God in us, Christ in you. The hope of glory. He came so that he could indwell. He came to this earth so that he could indwell mankind. So he can indwell with us. It goes on to say in Colossians 1.28, Christ is our message. We preach to awaken hearts and bring every person into full understanding of truth. I'm going to read that again. This is why you preach 
the gospel. This is why you listen to the word of God. This is why you read the word of God. This is why you spend time with God. He says, Christ is our message. We preach to awaken hearts. Evidently, your heart can be asleep. Evidently, you can have blindness in your eyesight, spiritually speaking. But he says, every time we hear a certain part of the truth, you're awakened in that area. People need to be awakened in the area when it comes to healing. People need to be awakened in the area that God wants you to be blessed, coming and going. Whatever you set your hand to, hand to shall surely prosper. You need to be awakened into that. And listen, just because you were awakened last year doesn't mean that, man, I've got it now. No, you, it's a life-going process. He says, I want to awaken hearts and bring every person into the full understanding of truth. Truth. It has become my inspiration and passion and ministry to labor with a tireless intensity, with his power flowing through me to present to every believer the revelation of being his perfect one in Jesus Christ. It says to bring everybody to the revelation that you are perfect in Christ. Unto you, God says, I can make you perfect. What is God to you? He says, unto you, Mike, I can make you perfect. You know, I've said this before. It's a great illustration. I'd rather be a flawed diamond than a perfect brick. Just keep thinking about it. It'll eventually catch on. But anyway, because, man, a, a diamond, it, it, it's, it's got value automatically. No matter what state it is, it's got value automatically. But, you know, I don't care how great nothing against bricks. If you have a brick home, thank God for it. The big bad wolf will never be able to blow it down. But anyway, this is the point. As far as value, there's no comparison to a diamond and a brick. No matter how perfect, I'm going to keep working on this brick. You can work on it for all eternity. It will never be as valuable as the diamond. And then Paul says there needs to be a revelation of you being perfect in Christ. Not in your own ability, but you and I, we are not even hardly scratching the surface, ladies and gentlemen. We talk about our flaws, and who knows our flaws and insecurities and weaknesses better than moi? Everybody knows how, you know, you can hide them, but you know they're there. You know your weaknesses, you know your flaws, you know everything about you. But there's one thing that we haven't scratched the surface about you. And that is, as far as Christ is concerned and God is concerned, he says, you need to have a revelation of being the perfect one, the perfect one in Christ. This is where we miss it. Because we don't see ourselves in Christ. We see ourselves standing outside of, our, of the Lord. We see ourselves outside struggling, trying to... Maybe be more perfect before God, to be more acceptable to God. We see ourselves struggling when it comes to finances, maybe healing, our relationship with our spouse or with our kids or with our friends. We see ourselves in all of these weaknesses. And Paul says, I'm preaching the gospel to you so you see yourself in a different way. 
Because as long as you see yourself this way, you know, as a sinner, I'm just a sinner. I'm just a sinner. You know, you will have faith to sin just automatically if that's what you believe. You will sin automatically because you know that's who you are. But God says, I've taken you from that point, and I want to give you a revelation of another viewpoint, that you have been made righteous, and you're the righteousness of God in Christ. And as far as the blood is concerned, you are perfect in Christ. Which one is going to have more victory in their life as far as, far as their perspective and how they think about themselves? This one? I'm the sinner, and I just sin, you know, I, and I know I just... Thank God that he forgives me, you know, but, you know, I'm just a sinner saved by grace. And, you know, or I used to be a sinner, but now I'm made righteous because of the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Which person is going to have more victory over sin? You tell me. You tell me. Unto you. What? Unto you. I have been made free from sin. Sin is no longer dominated over my life. He has become my inspiration and passion in ministry to labor with me a tireless intensity with his power flowing through me to present to every believer the revelation of being his perfect one in Christ Jesus. And I know this goes against, I would not have preached this probably 15, 20 years ago. I just, I just wouldn't preach it. I would just look at it and go, I don't get that. Don't understand it. And not that I get it and totally understand it today. But I know it's true about Mike Davis today. And this is why Paul prayed, Ephesians 1.15. This is why Paul prayed this. This is why I pray this over you all. I pray this over my family, and I pray this over Mike. Ever since I first heard, this is Paul speaking to the Ephesians. Ever since I first heard of your strong faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for God's people everywhere. Who's he talking to? Heathen, people who don't believe, or Christians? He's talking to Christians. He's talking to the church. He says, because of your strong faith, not just weak, he says, your strong faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. I have not stopped thanking God for you, and I pray for you constantly. Asking God, the glorious Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, this is what I've highlighted in my, my text. To give you spiritual wisdom and insight so that you might grow in your knowledge of God. He's talking to Christians. He's talking to believers. And yet he says, I'm praying for you that God will open up the spiritual wisdom and insight so that you may grow in your knowledge of God. Why? Because he wants the, the unto you to grow in your life. Unto you. He wants that to grow. He says, I pray that your hearts will be flooded with light. So that you can understand the confident hope he has given to those he has called. His holy people who are his rich and glorious inheritance. You are God's rich and glorious inheritance. You. And he doesn't have perfect bricks. He says, I also pray that you will understand the incredible greatness of God's power for us who believe in him. This is the same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead and seated him in the place of honor at God's right hand in heavenly realms. How much power did it take to bring Jesus from the dead, who is 
took the whole payment of sin, death, hell, and the grave. How much power did it take to reach down and grab him and pull him out of the grave? That same power, he says, is available inside of you and me today. He says, that raised Christ from the dead and seated him in the place of honor at God's right hand in the heavenly realms. He's been placed in honor now. He died a shameful death. Most theologians said that he was stripped naked on the cross to make him more shameful with everybody to look at his naked body. He bore all of the shame. The Bible says he took your shame. He took your weaknesses. He took it all. This is why he was born, as a babe, as a human. He came as a human. So all of what was done wrong on this planet, he would absorb it like a sponge. The eternal son of God did not pour himself into humanity that we could simply admire the baby in the Bethlehem's manger. This is not his intention of just so that we could celebrate a holiday. God poured himself into a baby so that we could experience, so that we could experience much, much more than what we are experiencing today. I'm telling you, I just sense that the church around the world is on the cusp, is on the verge of experiencing God like we've never experienced him before. And it's not because he's withholding something up in heaven, waiting on us to get right so that he could pour out something. No, he poured it out 2,000 years ago. And now he's awaiting on us that our eyes would be opened to what he has poured out unto us. Oh, my gosh. Woo! He's waiting on us unto you. What have I done unto you, Mike? Most of my Christian life, I would, you hear sermon after sermon, God pour out your glory. God pour out your spirit. God send revival. God, and that, don't get me wrong, that's good. I understand what they're coming from. But if you really want to know the reality of what God has done unto you, I poured out everything unto you. There's not going to be another pouring out. Uh, I know you may disagree. It's okay. I love you anyway. I used to believe that. I used to say, God, send the power. God, send the rain. Cricket, cricket, cricket. As if to say Jesus wasn't enough. That's what we're really saying, is it not? You know, you didn't quite finish the job. You didn't quite do it all because, I mean, you sent us Jesus. I get that. But, you know, there's got to be something else. 
There's got to be something else because, you know, I, I see lack still on the planet. And I still see sickness and, and, and I still see heartache. And so there, there's got to be something else that you can do besides just sending Jesus. Gave us it all. And this is why Jesus said, It is finished. And now He awaits for you and I for our eyes to be opened. He's waiting on us for our eyes to be awakened so that we can experience everything that He did. God. Man, if you have a desire in 2023, this should be at the heartbeat of your desire and your belief system. I'm going to experience you, God. People say, well, yeah, Mike, but you know the Bible says we walk by faith, not by sight. That's absolutely true. But if you believe that the Bible is just written so that we could read and know about him, if we just pray and come to church so that we can just know about him, I'm telling you, you'll turn into a Pharisee and Sadducee. He wants you and I to experience him. Experiencing him in your physical body, in your checkbook. He wants you to experience him in your relationship with your spouse. He wants you to experience him with the relationship of your friends. He wants you to experience him in the relationship with your boss and what you put your hand to on this planet. He wants you to enjoy life to its fullest. And you're not going to be able to do that if you're not experiencing God. You just said, yeah, let's just, this is a good Sunday school story, you know. The three men in the fire. It's such a great little story. No, it's to show and prove you that God wants mankind to experience when you're in the fire, he's there with you, and he wants you to be able to see him in the fire so you won't be burned. You, you won't even smell like smoke. You're in the fire, but you not, may not be delivered from the fire, but you will be delivered in the midst of fire by seeing and experiencing him. He wants you to experience him in everything in life. This is a Phillips translation of Ephesians 1.17. It says this, that God, the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, an all-glorious Father, will give you spiritual wisdom and the insight to know more of him, that you may receive that inner illumination See, that's what this is what we need. You may see that inner illumination of the Spirit, which will make you realize how great is the hope to which He is calling you, the magnificent and splendor of the inheritance promised to Christians, and how tremendous is the power available to us who believe in God. Tremendous power that is available to us. The thing is, are we experiencing that power? Are we? This is not to condemn anyone. Don't anybody walk out and go, man, I don't experience power. Power, pastor, I don't experience power. I don't experience power. No, that's not the purpose of this message. This is the purpose of the message to stir you up on the inside and say, I will experience 
the tremendous power that is in me. In me. In me. Supernatural. Do we serve a supernatural God? Unto you, I give you a supernatural God. Are you experiencing a supernatural God? You know, I know there's been people in my family and friends, people I've known lived their whole life and went to the graveyard and never did really experience a really great supernatural move of God in their life personally. They're in heaven today, and their eyes have been opened up to the supernatural power of God. I don't know about you, but that's not how I want to live my life and experience it once I get to heaven. You really don't need it when you get there. Just saying. Who needs the supernatural power? Oh, we have the supernatural power of God. For what? There's no sickness there. There's no poverty there. There's no lack there. So really, what do you need the supernatural power of God for in heaven? If there's any place in the universe where you don't need it, it's there in heaven. We need it today, now, in Pueblo, Colorado. God wants to make himself known. I said this a couple of weeks ago. I was reading Ezekiel in the summertime, and I ju- it just started jumping out at me. That it says in Ezekiel over 50 times that they may know me. I'm making myself known that they may know me. How does God make himself known? How is he going to make himself known? It's going to be between you and I seeing the supernatural power of God. He's going to make himself known to people who don't believe in God. Or people who have grown cold towards God. Or even Christians who say, um, you know, I, I believe in God, but I really don't need him in my life. They don't say that, but they, that's basically what, how they live their life. I don't really need him. I got a great job. I'm young, a vibrant, healthy. Got a great marriage. Live in a nice house. Drive a nice car. All those things are awesome. But you still need to experience God. Two more scriptures real quick. Isaiah 9, 6, and 7. For unto us, there it is again like in Luke. Unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. The government will be upon his shoulder. And his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God. Even when he was a baby in a manger, God looked at him and called him Mighty God. Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase... Of his government and peace, there will be no end. Upon the throne of David and over his kingdom, to order and establish it with judgment and justice from that time forward, even forever, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. And then one more, 2 Thessalonians 2.14. 2 Thessalonians 2.14. He called you to salvation. When we told you the good news, now you can share in the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. God wants you to experience his glory. He says he's called you to salvation. Called you to it. So in other words, you know, we think, you know, we get saved. We believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. To get saved, you what? You believe in him. That's how you get saved. You believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, that he died for you. He was sent from God the Father. You believe in that and you are saved. But then he says, I'm calling you to salvation. What what do you mean you're calling me to salvation? 
Being saved is the beginning point of your journey with God. But called to salvation is an awakening of your inner man. Know him and everything that he is and everything that he's done for you. To know and experience God, it's a call to something. You're coming from something that you thought about God, how you lived your life. And he says, I'm putting you on a journey that I'm calling you to salvation. What is salvation? If you look it up in the Hebrew, shalom be unto you. That is one of the most powerful words, shalom. It means healing, prosperity, deliverance in every area of your life, peace, tranquility, freedom from fear, freedom for everything that the curse is. So every time it was shalom, the Jewish people would speak to them when they greeted and when they would leave, they would say shalom. God says, I'm calling you to shalom. Prince of peace, mighty God, everlasting father is inside of you and me. And he says, I'm calling you to that, Mike, walk it out. Walk it out, not in your own strength. Listen to me, not in your own strength, not in your own spirituality. We just need to be more spiritual. No, you never get there that fast. He says, I'm calling you to know me so that I, listen to me, so that I can fulfill it in and through you. He does the filling. This is the way Paul put it. I've been crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I, I live. Yet it's not I that liveth. It is Christ in me. And the life I now live, I live by the faith of the Son of God. It's not even your faith, honey. People say, I just need to increase my faith. No, you need to know the faith of God that's already placed inside of you. <laughs> he says, I live, I live my life by the faith of the Son of God. So what he was saying, he had a revelation that I'm not doing the living because Paul is a dead man. He's dead. But yet I'm alive. But it's not the life of Paul. It's the life of God inside me. And that's how I can have an overcoming, victorious life. That's just why he penned, thanks be to God who always causes me to triumph. This is why he said, I am more than a conqueror. Through him. This is why he says, I can do all things through Christ. How can a man say he knew all of that? Because he knew the man was dead and the Savior, the Lord unto you, was born and came and dwelled inside of him. Hallelujah. Praise God. Praise God. If that doesn't light a fire. Hallelujah. Let me pray for you. Father, we just thank you. This Christmas season, may your people, your church, the believers, have an inner revelation of the Christ in them. The baby that we celebrate this time of the year, the baby that we celebrate, was the beginning of the fulfillment of what you wanted for mankind which was all alone to walk in them, to dwell with them, to be at peace with them. God, may our eyes be open to what was given 2,000 years ago. Unto us, a child was born. Unto us, Savior was given. 
unto us. Unto us. May our eyes be open to that, God. May we know you like we've never known you before. Father, in this next coming year, 2023, there will be many challenges. There will. There will be probably many outbreaks in the government and things going on in the world, just like crazy things have been happening these last two years. There will be crazy going on, but inside of the craziness, unto us. Inside of the craziness, there will be unto us the Savior, the power, the victory. May our eyes see it and live by that every day of our life in 2023, Father. In Jesus' name, amen.